Welcome back to the Religions of the Ancient Mediterranean podcast. My name is Phil Harland. I'm a professor at York University in Toronto. We're continuing on in the series Diversity in Early Christianity, in which we look at what have traditionally been called heresies, and look at the variety of Christian groups and the struggles that are going on between different Christian groups. Today we move on to something that contrasts quite substantially to the Ebionites we were just dealing with and to the other Judean followers of Jesus we were dealing with. Today we move on to Marcion, a particular man, and the Marcionites who followed his line of thought within Christianity. Marcion believed that the God who sent Jesus was not the Judean God, was not the God of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. Instead, the God who sent Jesus was a stranger God, an unknown God previously, who, out of love, sent Jesus to free us from the justice and legalistic control of the Judean God. So in this sense, there's quite a contrast between Marcionite Christianity and the Judean forms of Christianity we've just been surveying. In this episode, we first begin by introducing Marcion and a few things about what we know about the man himself, before going on to patristic church fathers' comments on what Marcion's views were. We survey each of the main patristic comments on Marcion. After that, I delve into explaining more fully some of the key characteristics of the worldview of Marcion. In particular, I explain his view of there being two gods, the God of the Hebrew Bible and the God that sent Jesus as being two separate gods. I then explain another juxtaposition within Marcion's thought, namely the idea of law that corresponds to the Judean God and gospel that corresponds to the unknown God who sent Jesus. We then explain more about how Marcion views Jesus' role as the Savior and consider the writings, the authoritative writings that Marcion used in order to support his views. Marcion seems to have been among the first to develop a canon, the first to develop a list of what he considered to be the measurement of what is true belief, a collection of writings that would be considered authoritative for constructing what he felt it meant to follow Jesus. And so he's important for that reason as well. I would warn you again that this podcast is quite advanced. There's a sense in which you would be better off listening to the earlier series, including the series on Paul and the series on Portraits of Jesus, before delving into this third main series on diversity in early Christianity. As we'll see, Marcion's views are quite different than what is traditionally associated with Christianity, quite different than the form of Christianity that won out in the end. If you would like to read further on Marcion and Marcionite Christianity, Ernest Evans has a fine translation of Tertullian's attack, his multi-volume attack called Against Marcion. This is readily available online at the moment at tertullian.org. The good thing about this translation is it provides an introduction as well. Another classic work in this area is by the historian of the late 1800s and early 1900s, Adolf von Harnack. Harnack's work is entitled Marcion, the Gospel of an Alien God. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Feel free to read more about Marcion and other forms of Christianity on my website, philipharland.com.
what I'll do is I'll begin by introducing some of the main things about Marcionite Christianity that we know, and then we'll move on afterwards to analyzing Tertullian's particular attack on it. Some of my main points to get across today on the Marcionites and their critics is, first of all, that we're witnessing here Gentile forms of Christianity. There's a sense in which, as Ehrman puts it, we're seeing the opposite of the Ebionites, although in other respects it's not as uh, clear-cut as that. There's a very clear Pauline connection here. So this Gentile form of Christianity that we see in Marcionite Christianity is more along the Pauline type of Christianity, you could say to an extreme, in a way that excludes all Judean forms of Christianity. Marcionite Christianity, by its very definition, excludes any Judean form of Christianity as illegitimate. You cannot legitimately follow Jesus and be devoted to the Judean God in the perspective of Marcionite Christianity. So that's one of my main points that I want to get across. Another thing is that Marcionite Christianity is distinctive in many ways. In other words, there's things we're going to see here with this type of Christianity that we will not see in other types of Christianity and have not yet seen. First of all, the idea of an unknown God is very central. A stranger God is another way of putting it, is very central to Marcion's thought. The God who sent Jesus is a previously unknown God who had nothing to do with humanity and nothing to do with this world before sending Jesus. We'll have to clarify how it may have similarities with what we traditionally call Gnosticism, but on the other hand, we should not confuse Marcionite Christianity with the Nag Hammadi styles of Christianity that we're going to get into in detail soon. Do not confuse them. Something that is in common, though, with the Gnostics that we'll see is the rejection of the Hebrew Bible. Marcion rejects the Hebrew Bible, rejects the whole Old Testament as having nothing to do with Jesus and nothing to do with the unknown stranger God. Despite the distinctiveness here, despite what to our ears might seem very strange and odd and probably an obscure marginal group that didn't have much influence, that is a wrong impression. Marcionite Christianity was very successful and widespread, so it's important to study for that reason as well. Obviously, in the end, it loses. So did many different forms of Christianity that got amalgamated or, or basically lost out. But in terms of its own time, from the period about 150 to the 400 CE, Marcionite Christianity was a quite well-attested form of Christianity in various parts of the Mediterranean world. If you're a follower of Jesus and went to a local group of followers of Jesus meeting in a church, you could almost assume once in a while you're going to encounter a Marcionite church. So let's get into some of the material now that you've got those basic ideas that I hope you get out of it. Let's talk a little bit about reconstructing Marcionite Christianity, and then I'm going to outline to you some of the key characteristics of it. As with looking at other forms of Christianity, we have a variety of sources we're working with. In this case, with Marcionite Christianity, all of our sources are negative. We have no direct sources from Marcion or from followers of Marcion generally. Indirectly, through the writings that attack them, we have quotations sometimes of what Marcion would say, or some quotations from his antitheses, the book he wrote. We've lost his book, though. If only we had his book, we would at least have an ability to have a better idea of how to reconstruct and understand what Marcionite Christianity is. So we have problems in reconstructing Marcionite belief and practice, the same sort of problems we had with the Ebionites. 
in large part, we only have people talking negatively about them. Some of the patristic authors that do refer to them, and I'm going to quote a few of them soon, Justin, in about 155, talks about them. So already five years after their existence, they're already prominent enough and, and noticeable enough that people are talking about them and condemning them and actually feeling that there's a danger there. Therefore, it tells you how successful it is. Irenaeus talks about them. Hippolytus talks about them. These are figures you're familiar with. Tertullian we're going to deal with in the latter part of our discussion. We're going to look at his whole work of five books in which he systematically tries to refute Marcion and puts Marcion on trial. Obviously, Marcionite Christianity was important. Otherwise, why would so many authors be spending so much time trying to debunk it? There's also what we've just learned about, attacks from the other side. So that the pseudo-Clementine presentation of Peter attacking Simon Magus, as I pointed out to you, is Simon Magus is a cipher for Paul, really. The person who had the vision that was illegitimate, who never met Jesus. However, the critique of Paul focused on Paul's antinomianism, Paul's rejection of the law, Paul's Gentile form of Christianity, Paul's rejection of Judean ways. This lines up well with the sort of Christianity we have with Marcion. And there are points at which in that pseudo-Clementine literature, it seems as though Marcion has influenced the way in which the author of the pseudo-Clementines interprets Paul. And so we have, might have Marcion and Paul in his mind, the author of the pseudo-Clementines. So indirectly, that can be a source for some material on at least how people are attacking Marcionite Christianity from another angle. We're familiar with the patristics, but we also have the pseudo-Clementine presentation of Paul that shows us another angle on it. Now that we have a sense of the sources we have, let's talk a little bit about Marcion's background and his history before I go on to his worldview and the practices associated with Marcionite Christianity. So let's talk about Marcion's background and history. From what I've said so far, you already know there's problems at getting at the truth. And the very first section of Tertullian's Against Marcion that I read a couple weeks ago really made that clear, didn't it? Tertullian, one of our main sources for Marcion, begins with all kinds of name-calling. The whole thing is that Marcion is a barbarian becomes, because he comes from Pontus, and he's equivalent of a wild animal who engages in perverted sex, who comes from a country where people eat their own fathers. Remember that whole beginning of this first book? How much can we know about Marcion's background itself from these sources? How much can we know of his history? What can we know of Marcion the person from this? Well, not a whole lot. Nonetheless, some of the little snippets of information that seem to be reliable have to do with his date and where he's from. First of all, it seems likely that Marcion was born around 100 CE. He may have been the son of a church leader. But the problem is the stories associated with the fact that Marcion was the son of a church leader build up all kinds of things about her, how horrendous he was, that he raped a virgin, and all, all kinds of stuff that you can't rely on. We know that he was from the region of Pontus, and the city of Sinope seems to be where he is from. So Sinope is up here on the southern coast of the Black Sea, up in Asia Minor. Not surprisingly, since he lives on a coastal city that is central to merchant activity and central to the shipping trade, we know that Marcion was a shipper by trade. But it could also mean a ship owner. The indications are that he is rich because we have a story that he gave 200 
thousand sesterces to the church in Rome. They ultimately found out what some of his beliefs were and gave him his money back. But 200,000 sesterces is a huge amount of money. Just to give you perspective, in the Roman Empire, there are two main positions of the ultra elite. We're talking about a very small segment of society, less than 1% of the society. Within that 1% of the society, at Rome, there's the equestrians and there's the senators. To be a senator, you have to be a millionaire. To be an equestrian, you have to have, under your own control, the equivalent of 400,000 sesterces. In other words, you need to possess twice as much as Marcion gave away. Marcion is rich. This brings us to his activity in Rome that I just alluded to there. We know that some point in his life he went to Rome, probably in the late 130s CE, and into the 140s CE. That he made this donation of 200,000 sesterces to the church in Rome. That he was involved in some sort of a gathering of leaders in which he presented the ideas he was developing about what Marcion was starting to think following Jesus was all about. They didn't like what he said and said, take your money back. That's mainly what we know about his history in terms of relations at Rome. Sure, Marcion had these ideas. Sure, a few people objected to them when he spoke to them at Rome and said, take your money back. However, there were plenty of people who didn't reject his ideas. And a side of this is the demography of this movement. What I mean by that is where you find Marcionites very early, already by the late second century. So within decades, you begin to see evidence that Marcionite types of Christianity exist in all kinds of regions of the Roman Empire. The main way we know this is people attacking it or people referring to the Marcionites and not liking the Marcionites. We can look at where these people exist that are attacking it or referring to it. We have people in Asia Minor, obviously, which is where Marcion's from. And that seems to be a stronghold of Marcionite Christianity. A person in Corinth condemns it and shows you that it's already in Greece. In Antioch and Syria, we have an author. And in the century after Marcion, we have an author in Crete, on the Greek island of Crete. We have Irenaeus, a guy who's from Asia Minor who goes and settles in France, Lyon what now is France. We have an author in Alexandria and Egypt complaining about Marcionite Christianity. We have people at Rome, obviously, complaining about Marcionite Christianity. You have Tertullian in North Africa. This demography of the movement and the references to it begin to tell you how important it was at the time at which it was taking place, even though it ended up being a losing brand of Christianity in the end. So from 150 to the 400 CE, Marcionite congregations worshipping Jesus in various parts of the empire. As to when it precisely totally died out, hard to know. Some of the ideas it had didn't die out in a way, got inherited and reworked in different ways within the type of Christianity that won. More the anti-Judean elements that we're going to be talking about. Let's talk about Marcion's worldview a little bit now. I thought it would be a good approach to get into the worldview of Marcionite Christianity and get an idea of what it is by reading some of the sources that first condemn it. Remember that we only have the condemnations. But let me read through a few passages. The first one from Justin. Justin is writing in 155 CE and shows you that already within a decade of Marcion coming to Rome that there's already existing followers of Marcion in places that Justin knows 
we know Justin is active in Asia Minor, for example. Remember his debate with Trifo in Asia Minor? And that Justin has also, also went to Rome and various parts of the Mediterranean world. But already within a decade, it's noticeable enough and troubling enough that Justin talks about it. And this is what he says in his apology to section 1.26. He talks about various false teachers, Justin does. And then he says one of them, one Marcion, a man of Pontus, who is even now alive, teaching those who believe him to pay honor to a different God, greater than the creator. And this man has, by the assistance of those demons, caused many of every nation to utter blasphemies, denying the God who made this universe, and professing that another, a greater than he, has done greater things. So the most notable thing to Justin, within a decade of the existence of followers of Marcion, is this idea of two gods. This is an important aspect of Marcionite thought, that there's a creator God, and there's a God that's greater than the creator God is, a God who did not make the universe. Soon we'll see that through other authors that it's that other greater God that sent Jesus. And that the creator God, the Judean God, has nothing to do with Jesus at all. Irenaeus, you're already familiar with his writing against the heresies. And he's writing in the 190s CE, so late 2nd century. He was from Asia Minor, remember, so he's familiar with things in Asia Minor, but also now in France. He's a leader of a church in France when he's writing. He has a more extensive passage that I want to read to you because it summarizes some of the key characteristics of Marcionite thought. We have to be careful always with sources like this. However, the way Irenaeus talks about it, at least the information we're using, is somewhat factual as opposed to attacking it at the time. In other words, there's not a lot of name-calling here. There's more Irenaeus reporting what he knows about Marcionite thought. In succession to Gerdo, he says that Gerdo is the teacher of Marcion, Marcion of Pontus developed this doctrine with shameless blasphemy of the God of whom the law and the prophets tell, saying that he is the creator of evil things, takes delight in wars, is inconstant, also in temper, and at variance with himself. But that Jesus came from that Father who is high above the God who made the world that in the days of Pontius Pilate, the governor, who was procurator of Tiberius Caesar, he was made manifest in human shape to those who were in Judea, that he put an end to the law and the prophets and all the works of the God who made the world. Jesus came not from the creator God, but from that other superior God. In addition to this, here's some more information. Marcion circumcised the gospel, according to Luke, by excising everything written about our Lord's nativity, his birth, as well as removing from our Lord's teaching many passages in which it is written that he openly professed that the creator of this universe is his father. Irenaeus here claiming that Marcion not only believed that Jesus was sent from a God other than the God of the Judeans, but that he used the gospel of Luke and took out parts in the gospel of Luke that seemed to indicate that Jesus was sent from the Judean God. Further on, Irenaeus says this, Marcion persuaded his adherents that he himself expressed the truth better than the apostles who delivered the gospel. Though in fact he delivered them no gospel, here's his judgment, but only a part of one. In like manner, he castrated the epistles of Paul, the apostle by removing all things clearly expressed by the apostle concerning the God who made the world as when he says that he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have Irenaeus saying Marcion liked the Gospel of Luke, 
but took out references to the Judean God being Jesus' Father and took out references to the prophets, to the Hebrew Bible. Liked Paul's letters and did the same. So Paul is integral to Marcion's thought, but a particular interpretation of Paul. Hippolytus, another guy you're somewhat familiar with now, writing in the 200s CE, another book against heresies, refuting the heresies. He gives us this other little snippet of information, and that is one of the passages in Luke's Gospel that seems to have been a favorite of Marcion to explain the diff this idea of the two gods is a passage about the good tree and the bad tree. Hippolytus says this, The Marcionites quote to this effect the Gospel parable, that a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, and what follows. They affirm that Christ is the son of the good and was sent by him for saving of the souls, which Marcion calls the inner man, and that he was revealed as a man, though not a man. We're getting into the docetism of Marcionite's view of Jesus, that Jesus only appeared to be a man. He was not really human. He was not really flesh. As being in a body when not in a body, manifest in appearance only. There's the language of appearance that we're familiar with from Ignatius. Subject to no birth or death, except only in appearance. He denies that Christ's body rose again. He says that marriage is a corruption. Remember that Acts of Paul and Thecla interpreted Paul as forbidding marriage? Well, it's not surprising to find someone else reading Paul's letters and coming up with the idea that to follow Jesus you need to refrain from sexual activity. But in this case it might be related to his docetism, his idea that the body is in some way not a good thing. So that gives you a few examples of authors talking about Marcion in an early period. And that's a type of evidence that we use to piece together what we're going to outline now as some of the key characteristics of uh, Marcion's worldview and the beliefs of the Marcionite church. Let's get into this two-God issue a little bit further now and analyze how Marcion thinks of this. It seems that the reasoning Marcion had was that the God that you see when you read the Old Testament, the God that you see when you read the Hebrew Bible, seemed arbitrary in his view, seemed judgmental, seemed to do things that were not moral, seemed to be warlike, like to kill people off, etc. So Marcion's reading of the Hebrew Bible was in such a way that he really got bothered by how God came across as warlike, as nasty, and especially as legalistic and judgmental. Marcion began to see that God as an inferior sort of being. He's very arbitrary, does whatever he feels like, acts on his impulses, and he would point to different stories in the Hebrew Bible that underlined that sort of impulsive behavior of God, the God of the Hebrew Bible, the God of the Old Testament. He underlined not that that God was evil, however, it seems, even though some of the condemnations in the patristic writers talk as though Marcion said that the God who created this world was evil, it seems that there may be a bit of a projection onto Marcion views that were held by the Nag Hammadi-style thinkers. We do not have very solid evidence that Marcion would say that that God was evil. However, some of the Nag Hammadi thinkers do think of the Creator God as evil in some ways. Not all of them, but some of them do. Marcion, though, emphasized not his evilness, but his justice. Marcion saw the God of the Hebrew Bible as a just God. Well, let me explain. 
By just, he meant a God who makes up rules and wants everyone to follow them and makes everyone hold to following them and is just in punishing people for not following his rules. Another way of putting it in Marcion's view is he's not a loving God because that's the contrast he makes between that Judean God of the Hebrew Bible and the God that Marcion says sent Jesus. The unknown God, up until the point at which Jesus was sent, this other God was only known once Jesus was sent. He was the unknown, stranger God. No one knew of the existence of this God until Jesus came. And Jesus was sent by that stranger, unknown God, precisely to free humans from the legalistic and just rule of the God that created this world. So an unknown God sends Jesus into this world to free human souls from the ruler God who created this world. It's the God of Hebrew Bible who created this world. The unknown God had nothing to do with the creation of this world. But what the unknown God did have to do with is saving souls from the possession of the creator God of this world. So Jesus is sent to save humans from this whole system of having to follow the laws of the creator God and therefore having to be judged and justice having to be met. Let's look at a couple passages you guys did read. Tertullian is our most extensive source for an attack on Marcion, and it's in his five books against Marcion that we have extensive evidence of what sort of strategies were used by a patristic author to attack Marcionite Christianity. He thought this was an important type of Christianity to attack because it was so prominent. Tertullian is trying to refute Marcion's view of what the Creator God is like. Obviously, Tertullian's trying to say there's only one God, and it's the Creator God, and that's the same God who sent Jesus. That's Tertullian's view against Marcion, who's saying there's two gods, just to illustrate some of the characteristics of the Creator God in Marcion's view. I'm pointing to Book 2, Section 23. Here's Tertullian talking about Marcion, or talking to Marcion, rhetorically here. You suggest that the Creator is proved capricious, impulsive, does things on the spur of the moment, and you never know what he's going to do, concerning persons as well as institutions, when he expresses disapproval of men previously approved of, or else that he is lacking in foresight when he approves of men who will afterwards meet with his disapproval. Why would God choose figures and then the figures do all kinds of evil things? They're his favorites and then they do evil things. This continues in Book 2. There's quite a few of them. Book 2, Section 25 is another one, where not only is the God of the Hebrew Bible in Marcion's view capricious, impulsive, but he's also petty and weak. And so Tertullian deals with that accusation that it was probably in Marcion's antithesis, his writing that he wrote. Marcion went to the creation narrative and the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And so Tertullian says, God calls out, Adam, where are you? As though he did not know where the man was. And when Adam is given as his reason the shame of his nakedness, God asks whether it was because he had eaten of the tree. God doesn't know anything here in the narrative is how Marcion's interpreting it. So that was Marcion's perspective. Tertullian's obviously going to refute this. He goes on, in fact, God was neither in doubt of the deed nor ignorant of the hiding place. And he's going to explain that God knew everything and etc. While we're on this issue of the two gods, let me distinguish some things about what's different about Marcion in relation to the Gnostics. Because you might think, oh, that sounds a lot like Gnosticism. 
The Gnostics also believe that the creator God is a different God than the God who sent Jesus. So far, yes, they agree. But beyond that, it's very different. And let me draw attention to some of the distinctions between the Nag Hammadi sort of perspectives, there's many of them, but the Nag Hammadi perspectives and the perspectives of Marcion here. First of all, many of the Nag Hammadi documents, though not all of them, talk about the Creator God as evil. So the Nag Hammadi Gnostic documents have the Creator God playing the role that the devil or Satan usually play in other Christian worldviews, contemporary with it. A lot of the stories associated with Satan and other forms of Christianity get attached to the Creator God and Marcion's view. The Creator God is not evil in a full way. He's a just God is his main characterization of the Creator God. Something else about Marcion that seems to distinguish it from the Nag Hammadi sort of worldview is that there's not any sophisticated middle platonic notions of emanations here. Something else that distinguishes the Nag Hammadi worldview from Marcion that should make sure you don't categorize Marcion as Gnostic is his approach to the Hebrew Bible. From what I've said so far about how Marcion approached the narratives in the Hebrew Bible, what would you say about his approach to them in terms of how literal or non-literal he is in reading the Hebrew Bible? The thing that made Marcion throw out the Hebrew Bible's God is precisely that he was re reading everything literally. So very literal. That contrasts quite strongly to many of the techniques, though not all, of the techniques of the Nag Hammadi authors, traditionally Gnosticism. The tendency of Nag Hammadi authors is to not interpret things literally, to interpret things figuratively, metaphorically, in the vast majority of cases. So those are some important things to keep in your mind about what distinguishes Marcion from the Nag Hammadi authors. Because you might tend to just, because there's two gods, you might start to just blend them together, but they're, they're not the same. Let's go on to this next issue of law and gospel that goes along with the issue of creator God and stranger God and unknown God that sent Jesus. Marcion seems to have developed these notions around that twofold God idea. Namely, that the God that is the creator God, the Judean God, the Jewish God, is all about judgment and about law. And juxtaposed with that and in opposition to it is gospel. There's law versus gospel. The two are not compatible with one another. And it's the stranger God who never had any contact with human beings and with this world until he sent Jesus. It's the stranger God of love that sends Jesus to bring something that opposes law, namely the gospel. It's a gospel that sets people free from the law and sets people free from the dominion and control of the creator God, of the Judean God. Now, when Marcion talks about gospel, from what you've already learned about what writings he uses, you can already start to get the inclination as to what it's going to be. He uses Paul's letters primarily as his source and a cut-up, Gospel of Luke. Let's get on to views of Jesus here. Now that we've got two gods, we've got law versus gospel corresponding to those two gods, and we have a notion of being freed from the dominion of law, from the creator God, to be saved in some way by that stranger God who loved people so much that he sent Jesus to do so.
The views of Jesus have already been explained to some degree, but let me go into some of the other dynamics of it. First of all, from what I've said, you know that Jesus is not the Jewish Messiah. Marcion seems to have developed some subtle way of talking about things that suggested that the Judean God, the Creator God, did talk about a Messiah and did refer to a Messiah that would come and that the Hebrew prophets who worshipped that Judean Creator God also referred to a coming Messiah. However, Jesus was not that Messiah. Jesus is the Christ the Messiah sent from the unknown God. So he still might use the language of Messiah and Christ, Marcion. But he detaches Jesus as a Christ from any notion of Judean notions of Christ. Now, as to what it was that Jesus was sent to free humanity from, I've already indicated law. And the, the arbitrary behavior of the Creator God is what you're being freed from. Something for sure about Marcion's view of Jesus, though, is it was docetic. You guys have already learned quite a bit about what docetism is from Ignatius and even from the Joannine epistles. The opponents we looked at there spoke as though Jesus only appeared to be human. Dokeo is the Greek word for appearing or seeming to be. And then scholars have this category they call docetism to talk about early Christians who believed Jesus was not ever truly human. There are many references to Marcion believing that Jesus only appeared to be human, that he didn't really take on a human body in a full way, that he didn't really suffer and die. As to what writings he used to develop this worldview, you've also got a clear idea of it, but he also wrote his own writing that has been lost. Antitheses, in other words, opposing points, is all about the opposition between the stranger God the loving stranger God that sent Jesus, and the arbitrary, just, legalistic God of the Hebrew Bible, and that the two are incompatible, and that the two principles between the Judean God and this other God are incompatible, and that we need to throw out the Hebrew Bible as an authority. The Hebrew Bible is not going to be among his canon, is it? It seems that Marcion may have been among the first people to somewhat systematically think to themselves, okay, what will be my official source of authority in terms of writings? He may have been the first one to develop a canon, a collection that is used as the rule for measuring what is truth and not truth. Remember that the canon of the New Testament is only developed in the late 300s and into the 400s CE, at least in the form we have it. There's no canon of scripture until after 393 CE, and even then it's not really there yet. However, it seems in the 140s CE, Marcion started to think along those lines, and his canon was no Old Testament, Gospel of Luke with t parts taken out, and 10 of Paul's letters with parts taken out. He didn't include the pastoral epistles, either didn't know them or didn't like them, one or the other. And he used those as his authority to back up these views we've just been talking about. In terms of practices, we don't know a lot about Marcionite practices. We know more about his worldview than we know about his practices. But one thing that is pointed out is his asceticism that he advocated, particularly refraining from sexual activity and marriage. This is one of the main things he gets condemned for by some of the patristic authors. He may have been also concerned about asceticism in eating practices, refraining from certain foods. So that gives you an outline now of what Marcion's thought was like, 
and gives you a sense of the sorts of ideas that were circulating in the Marcionite Christian congregations that were spreading throughout the Mediterranean world. That concludes this episode. I hope you'll come again. In the meantime, you can browse my website at philipharland.com. I like early Christianity. The introductory music for this podcast is Shadow Dance by Kaveh, and it's used here with permission under a Creative Commons license. <laughs>